Shalom. I'm Yaakov, and you're listening to Line Upon Line, a podcast dedicated to a Messiah essential understanding of the Scriptures. In this episode, we look at Sefer Amos, chapter 6, the book of Amos, chapter 6. Let me begin by reading my translation from the Hebrew text, beginning with verse 1. Oi, woe, alas to those who are at ease, feeling secure in Zion, and to those who trust in the mountain of Samaria and the appointed heads of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Chelne, from there to Hamat, then go down to the great Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms, with greater territory than your territory? Do you put away the day of evil and draw near a seat of cruelty? Those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the fattened cattle who make up nonsensical chants upon the face of the pitcher, for David they esteem, and they invent of themselves songs, who drink in bowls of wine and anoint their heads with oils, yet they have not grieved over the shattering of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into captivity at the head of the exiles, and the feasting cry of those who stretch out lounging will depart. The Lord yud heh has sworn by his soul, yud heh the God, judge, who goes warring, has declared, I abhor the majesty of Yaakov, and his palaces I hate. I will deliver up a city and all that is in it. And it will come to pass, if ten men are left in one house, they will die. And a man's uncle will lift him up and burn him, and bring out bone substance from the house, and say to the one who is at the sides of the house, Is anyone else with you? And that one will say, None. Then he will answer, Hold your tongue. For the name of Yudhe the Lord is not remembered. For behold, now pay attention. Yudhe the Lord has commanded and will smite the great house into fragments and the little house to rubble. Do horses run on rocks? Or does one yoke them with oxen for ploughing? Yet you have turned judgment into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood, bitterness. You who rejoice in lo de bar, nothing, and say, by our strength, have we not taken karnaim, horns, strength? For behold, now pay attention. I am going to raise up upon you, house of Israel, declares Yudhe the Lord, God, judge, the one who goes warring, a nation, and they will oppress you from the entrance of Hamat 
to the wadi, the riverbed of the wilderness. Now let's address the text line upon line, beginning with verse 1. Oi, woe, alas to those who are at ease, feeling secure in Zion, and to those who trust in the mountain of Samaria, and the appointed heads of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Both Judah, represented here by Zion, that being the seat of King David's power, and Israel, the northern tribes whose kings held court in Samaria, are being warned concerning their idolatrous faith in their own strength. Zion is used in Scripture to describe both the mountain located in Jerusalem and, at times, the entire land or the entire people of Israel. Therefore, it's also possible that Zion is used here as being synonymous with Israel. However, given that Amos is of Judah, and that while the focus of his prophecy has been on the northern kingdom's Israel, there has nonetheless been earlier rebuke of Judah. It's most likely, therefore, that both kingdoms are being indicted for their sin. Regardless, the latter clause reads, those who trust in the mountain of Samaria and the appointed heads of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. This is specifically addressed to the northern tribes who gather at the mount city of Samaria under the northern king and also practice apostate worship there, an intentional act of defiance against the appointed place of worship, Mount Zion, in Jerusalem. The phrase appointed heads of the nations is a reference to the fact that the northern tribes had made agreements with the nations they perceived to be strong and thus trusted not only in their own strength but also in the added strength of alliances with godless nations. The Targum understands the phrase appointed heads of the nations somewhat differently, paraphrasing the text to read, put the name of their children as the name of the children of the nations. While this seems an unlikely interpretation, it does nonetheless point to the coming exile by inferring that Israelis will give their children foreign names during the future captivity in order to make their lives easier as strangers in a land not their own. Reading verse 2. Pass over to Chalne, from there to Hamat, then go down to the great Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms, with greater territory than your territory? In short, what's really being said here is, Go and take a tour around the region as far east as Chalne in Babylon, north to the great city of Hamat located between Damascus and the Mediterranean Sea, and finally south to Gath, the pride of the Philistines. Do Chalne, Hamat and Gath exceed the grandeur, wealth and strength that the kingdoms of Israel and Judah have been given? The answer is of course no. 
God had given Israel a land rich with produce and grandeur, and yet she had looked elsewhere, not satisfied with the gift of yud heh the God of mercy. Verse 3 reads, Do you put away the day of evil and draw near a seat of cruelty? Let's begin with the first phrase. Do you put away a day of evil? This means that based on your belief that you are strong of yourselves and the delusional view that the day of the Lord will be one of light for you, you have put the day of the Lord out of your thoughts, a day that for you will be a day of evil in the sense of darkness, torment, judgment and destruction. The latter phrase reads, and draw near to a seat of cruelty. This speaks of them having rejected the warning of the prophets and having chosen to turn their backs on God. They have instead entered into an intimate relationship with vile acts of cruelty, the oppression of the poor, the rape of women, the murder of those who threaten their worldly ambitions, and so on. The translation seed of violence, which is common to many English versions, is not really accurate, given that in and of itself, violence is neither good nor evil, but is informed by good or evil. Therefore, cruelty better conveys the Hebrew Hamas, a prophetic and poignant translation given the modern terrorist organization Hamas, whose modus operandi is cruelty, even in the treatment of those they claim to be freeing from the so-called tyranny of the modern state of Israel. Verse 4. Those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the fattened cattle. Once again, the imagery depicts the rulers uber-rich and uncaring aristocracy of the northern tribes. Ivory was a valuable commodity, and the act of lounging on beds made from it accentuates the disregard for matters of justice and right action. This is coupled with gluttony, the consumption of the best of Israel's herds, some of which should have been offered in Jerusalem according to the Torah, but were nonetheless being eaten by the upper class who had decided that they themselves were the deities who deserved these offerings. The phrase, eat the lambs from the flock, contains a remez, a hint at deeper meaning. Israel is the flock of Hashem, and the wicked among the rich upper class were devouring the innocent lambs of Israel, both physically and metaphorically, as the analogy applies to apostasy and the leading astray of the vulnerable young. Verse 5 reads, Who make up nonsensical chants upon the face of the picture, for David they esteem, and they invent of themselves songs. This language upon the face of the picture really refers to someone blowing across the top or the opening of a jug. This verse is essentially saying that those in question invented their own nonsensical chants and psalms 
and attributed them or gave them equal status to the Psalms of King David. This is utterly abhorrent because it not only misappropriates David's name, but more importantly, makes the false inference that their words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Once again, this is a chilling indictment on modern Christian worship music, which so often claims to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, and yet is worded in such a way as to express the nonsensical emotionalism of the fallen nature. Verse 6 reads, Who drink in bowls of wine and anoint their heads with oils. Yet they have not grieved over the shattering of Joseph. The wine drunk in sacred bowls is an allusion to the worship of deities accredited with the grape harvest, and the oils, in part made from the life-sustaining olive oil of the land, are perfumed and hoarded at the expense of the poor. Thus, oil that might have fed the poor is used to adorn the rich for no other reason than to make them smell nice. We do the same today when we use perfume made in sweatshops in foreign countries where the poor are kept in a cycle of oppression in order to sustain Western demand for perfumed commodities. The phrase, yet they have not grieved over the shattering of Joseph, is rich with meaning. Joseph's name meaning Yudhevave adds. The plain meaning regards the sin of the brothers of Joseph in selling him into slavery. This ancient sin being committed in another form against the destitute of the northern kingdom in the time of Amos. The rulers and wealthy elite have shown a lack of care for the well-being of all Israel, indulgence having given birth to complacency and a hardening of heart. Joseph is used here as a synonym for Israel and hints that is has a remise that directs us toward the fact that yud vav has added blessing to Israel, blessing that Israel at that time had turned into curse. Verse 7 reads, Therefore they will now go into captivity at the head of the exiles, and the feasting cry of those who stretch out, that is, lounge around, will depart. Those who have been guilty of the aforementioned oppression of the weak and vulnerable will be the first to go into exile. Just as they share in the guilt of selling Joseph into slavery, so too they will be punished by being made slaves. The text is a type of Hebrew wordplay which places the Roshim, heads of Israel, at the Rosh, head of the line leading into captivity. This is an ironic twist on the teaching, the first shall be last. Here, the first shall be last by being first. Verse 8 reads, The Lord, yod heh has sworn by his soul, yod heh the God, 
judge who goes warring has declared, I abhor the majesty of Yaakov, and his palaces I hate, and I will deliver up a city and all that is in it. Hashem, God, swears by himself, his soul, his character, his essence, his being, because there is none greater than he. He swears these things in mercy, which proceeds from his holiness. He swears as God and judge, and as he who goes warring to save his people from a fate worse than death, that is, the second death, eternal punishment. To yud vav belongs all majesty. Therefore, the majesty which Yaakov, Israel, has manufactured for herself, he despises. Why? Because it will destroy her. He loves her and wants to redeem her. The Hebrew text does not say the city, as many wrongly translate, but a city. Thus, for the purpose of disciplining his beloved children in order to return them to life everlasting, he will deliver up each and every city individually and collectively throughout Israel into the hands of the Assyrians and, subsequently, into the hands of the Babylonians. Verse 9 reads, And it will come to pass, if ten men are left in one house, they will die. Those who are left of the northern kingdom, who are not taken into captivity, will surely die. Verse 10 reads, And a man's uncle will lift him up and burn him, and bring out bone substance from the house, and say to the one who is at the sides of the house, Is anyone else with you? And that one will say, None. Then he will answer, Hold your tongue. For the name of yud the Lord is not remembered. The bodies of Israel's dead are to be interred in order to await the physical resurrection and Yom Hadin, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. The bodies of Jewish people throughout the scriptures are either put in caves or above ground beneath stones. This is the God-honoring way to bury the dead. The burning of an Israeli body is an abhorrent violation, but it will be the only option for those who remain because the dead and rotting corpses of Israel will be so prolific and the remnant so few that they will not be able to bury them, thus leaving burning as a means of preventing the spread of disease associated with the corpses. This is why the uncle asks, Is anyone else with you? The answer is no one. There's no one to help you bury the body. The Targum says they have all perished. Then he will answer, Hold your tongue, for the name of yud the Lord is not remembered. This is interpreted in a number of ways. And I'm going to give you three options. First, be silent, because while the one we are burying was alive, he never called on the name of Yudhei Vavhei. 
the second possibility? Why bother calling on the name yud heh vav He has brought this upon us. He has firmly established this. And finally, and the one I think most likely, they say, don't bother crying out to the gods we thought would save us. They can't save. They say this because they have long since neglected to remember the one true God, yud heh who is able and willing to save those who repent and call on him. The Targum reads, He shall say, Remove the dead, since, while they lived, they did not pray in the name of the Lord. Verse 11 reads, For behold, now, pay attention, yud heh the Lord has commanded and will smite the great house into fragments, and the little house to rubble. The judgment of God that will enact justice has been firmly established against the perpetual sin of the northern tribes. The great house can be understood to refer to the king of the northern tribes and the little house to the common people. It may also be a reference to two distinct houses of apostate worship in the north. If the Targum's rendering is correct, then this verse refers to the northern kingdom being the great house because it had the majority of tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah being the little house because it was the lesser of the two. The Targum Yonatan reads, He will smite the great kingdom with a mighty stroke and the little kingdom with a weak stroke. Verse 12 reads, Do horses run on rocks? Or does one yoke them with oxen for ploughing? Yet you have turned judgment into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood, bitterness. These are of course rhetorical questions. These examples expose the immoral practice of swapping good for evil and vice versa. Israel had made poison of her judicial practices and had polluted the fruit of the righteous with vile acts of debauchery. Verse 13 reads, You who rejoice in lo de bal, nothing, and say, By our strength have we not taken karnaim, karnaim meaning horns, strength, Lo de Bar was a city southeast of the Kenneret, Galilee, in Gilead, not far from Mahanaim, north of the Jabuk River. We read about that in 2 Samuel 9, 4-5. Karnaim, also in the territory of Gilead, was directly east of the Kenneret, the Galilee. It had been taken by Manasseh and was at that time a badge of honor, reflecting their perceived strength. The meanings of the names of these two locations speaks of how God will turn Israel's strength into weakness, just as they have sought to turn morality on its head. Lo Debar literally translates as no thing or no word. And Karnaim translates as horns, metaphorical of strength. The message being, 
there will be no strength in your words, and you will reap nothing from your strength. Finally, verse 14. For behold, now pay attention. I am going to raise up upon you, house of Israel, declares Yudhe the Lord, God, judge, the one who goes warring, a nation, and they will oppress you from the entrance of Hamat to the Wadi of the wilderness. This is prophetic of the Assyrians and subsequently the Babylonians invading the north of Israel and, of course, in the end, taking Judah also and bringing all of Israel into captivity. Yet again, it is mercy the judge who goes warring to save his children. He will do so through discipline, sending the invading armies through the entire land of Israel from Hamat, which is part of the northern border of the land, all the way down to the desert stream bed in the south that borders the wilderness of Sinai. This links the coming exile to the ancient captivity of Egypt. It will be a return to bondage which reflects Israel's turning away from God and his life-giving instruction and instead turning toward the bondage of idolatry, sin and death. On that sobering note, we end this episode. Uh, The next few episodes will relate to Pesach, Passover, and then we'll pick up again with Amos chapter 7. As is always the case, the commentary, the notes for this episode are available on the Yaakov's Commentary tab of our website at www.bethmalek.com. And if you're listening after the fact, you will need to type in the subject that you're looking for in the search box in order to find the appropriate article. Thanks again for joining me. Shalom Lechem.